0: There's a lot of money and power pushing all sorts of mythology that harm us. In our eagerness to avoid anybody getting sick or getting hurt or dying, we actually do lots of interventions that make things worse.
1: I I think healthy skepticism on the part of most people when they go into the medical system is a good thing. They ought to ask, why am I taking this What's the proof that it works? What are the harms down the road? And what does it cost?
2: I'm Mary Chris Jacklevic with healthnewsreview.org. In this podcast, we'll hear from two doctors who are prominent and compelling voices in emergency medicine. Doctors Jerry Hoffman and Greg Henry began their careers back in the 1970s when emergency medicine was first becoming a specialty. With that deep perspective, they'll provide a peek under the hood of our healthcare system and reveal the surprising impact of potentially toxic healthcare myths. Ideas that are pervasive and often lead to worse outcomes and higher costs for patients. Ideas like more healthcare is better, early detection saves lives, and new technology must be better and you'll learn why you might want your local ambulance to slow down. First, some introductions.
0: My name is Jerome Hoffman. I'm an emeritus professor of medicine and emergency medicine at UCLA. I worked at UCLA in the emergency department, as well as in the medical school and the school of public health for about 35 years.
1: Uh, I'm Greg Henry, and I'm here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I am a clinical professor of emergency medicine at the University of Michigan, and I have been involved in the politics of emergency medicine almost since its beginning. We were from the era when you, if you actually said publicly that uh, you were going into emergency medicine, they, they got you a psychiatric consult because they thought no physician of quality would ever spend their life in an emergency department. And uh, we went from that era to now we're one of the most desirable specialties and have the almost the most uh, medical students applying to get our residencies.
2: Today emergency departments see a vast spectrum of patients and they are a diagnostic hub where advanced technology gets put to use. The ER is also many people's first point of contact with the medical system, which makes it a great place to observe the downsides of misleading media messages. Let's begin this discussion with an age-old problem, the so-called miracle cure. The flu virus, it's a really big deal. And with fever, aches, and chills, mom knows it needs a big solution, an antiviral. Don't kid around with the flu.
0: We see patients who think I need to have a drug like Tamiflu or like many others all the time. And we spend a lot of time talking with them about why that might not be such a good
2: idea. Exaggerated advertising claims are a big problem, but it's not the only one, Hoffman points out.
0: Unfortunately, there's a huge literature suggesting that not only in individual interactions between doctors and patients, but in the science of medicine, in the medical literature, we spend exponentially more time talking about benefit than we do about harm. And in fact, we almost never try to even compare the benefit and harm and say, you know, even if it did a little good, in this case, it's hard to know if it does much good at all. But even if it did good, at what cost? And that's a that's a question that is really rarely raised in medical science and in medical practice and to to the harm of all of us.
2: At healthnewsreview.org, we've written about the iffy benefit of Tamiflu. Henry says the downsides of that drug and many others aren't discussed often enough.
1: I think the real problem with something like Tamiflu is that we don't carry on the honest conversation enough, which is this medication which depending on whose data you look at, and we could have a major debate about this, but at best, it gives you relief of some symptoms about 12 hours earlier. It is not a preventative for worse disease. And what, what we almost never talk about is in certain populations, particularly in teenagers, it can cause a form of psychosis. It can really be a difficult drug to manage.
0: many people who have a flu like syndrome don't have the flu, so if we if we were to use it early, we'd have to get everybody who has a flu like syndrome into the ER right away as soon as they have symptoms so that we could start the Tamiflu and and get this little potential benefit and Of course, there are enormous potential harms for doing that. not only will we overwhelm emergency departments even more than they are and and interfere with the care of other people. And I'm not just making that up. When you are overwhelmed, care for everybody suffers. But in addition, I think the last thing you want for sick patients in an ER is to have the ER flooded with people who have viral illnesses.
2: A lot of prescriptions get written that don't even provide a benefit. Take antibiotics. The CDC says at least three out of every 10 antibiotics ordered in outpatient settings aren't actually treating the patient's problem
0: take an antibiotic when you don't need it you can not only cause resistance in yourself you can increase resistance in the community you can get minor problems like diarrhea or you can get major problems Uh, there are some immunologic reactions that can kill people and most of the time antibiotics are pretty safe so if a thousand people don't take an antibiotic that they don't need 999 of them are going to be fine, but one of them might be really, really sick. And if we've created a a culture in which thousands of people ask for unnecessary antibiotics, of course, that is harmful.
2: Elderly patients often appear in the ER with bagfuls of medications that are excessive and actually cause dangerous side effects that can lead to falls and cognitive problems. Henry points to other unintended consequences from medications.
1: I had a patient who... uh thought if one Viagra tablet made him good, four Viagra tablets should make you great. And this was in a patient with heart disease. This is not necessarily a good thing. And uh, now we have to ask very specific questions, because if you've taken Viagra and now in your zeal to uh, prove yourself, you've, you've had chest pain and an MI it can actually complicate the treatment of those patients. We see people all the time who have been convinced by multiple different uh, sources that vitamins are good for you. There's actually a lot of data to suggest that most people don't need a daily vitamin. We're talking about all those stores that line the malls that sell all kinds of vitamins. I've seen those people who have overdosed on vitamin A and you can actually cause yourself some serious damage with that medication. People think well it's got to be innocuous, Uh, I don't need a prescription to pick it up and that's not true. There are plenty of drugs which uh, are potentially dangerous which don't require a prescription at all.
2: Let's switch gears to the topic of speed. On TV, medical workers are always rushing to treat patients.
1: The speed of the Yorkshire Air ambulance can make the difference between life and death.
2: Your description take off. Uh, that is listed. But in real life, rushing can be a very bad thing. For example, it can lead to ambulance crashes, both on land and in the air, in which healthy people die.
1: The most dangerous vehicle per highway mile is the ambulance because when you're running lights and sirens people rubberneck the mass majority of the time the ambulance should be running at usual highway speeds nobody's got any data to suggest that if we get to, you to know, the hospital two minutes earlier in most disease conditions you've got a better outcome We've, we've all fallen victim to the lights and sirens. We call them beacon freaks.
0: It is true that if you have a cardiac arrest, and most people have a cardiac arrest are going to die, there is a small chance of survival, and the things that predict survival are how fast somebody does CPR, and most important, how fast it is to get a defibrillator there.
2: When it comes to heart attacks, both doctors and paramedics agree. Time is muscle. Coming up after the break...
0: That has been transmuted into the myth that time is brain and time is muscle and time is everything in a zillion different areas. Not only do you do harm by causing an accident when when you're running, but you also do harm when you're trying to save minutes by not thinking. I don't have time to think. I have to give the medicine right now. There are many, many examples of using dangerous medicines, which might do a little bit of good, where there might be a Marginal difference in a few cases. If you gave it a little bit earlier, but where we often give it to a person who turns out, oh, they didn't have the disease. And if they didn't have the disease, you can't get any benefit, but you can still cause life-threatening harm. But everything tells us, don't you? Don't have time to think. You have to rush. You have to do it. And and that, of course, is really problematic. I don't think any one of your listeners needs me to tell them where they've heard that faster is better, that getting there right away and doing it right now is critically important. It is, it's so much out there in our culture that it's, it's sort of subliminal now. We all, it's a myth, we all believe it. Unfortunately, it is almost never true.
2: Then there's the myth that medical breakthroughs will save us from death.
0: Steve Austin. Astronaut, a man barely alive, gentlemen, we can rebuild him,
2: we have the technology. Hoffman and Henry like to point out that the death rate for humans remains steady. It's still one per person.
0: We're all sort of taught that with our can-do American style and the wonders of modern medicine and technology, nobody actually has to die and it's always an error if somebody dies. And, this has also led, I believe, to a great deal of harm. There's a famous paper was published in the New England Journal probably 20, 25 years ago, and it's been repeated since with the same results, and the original paper was as follows. They looked at cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, done on television, and they compared it to CPR in real life. In real life, most people who have a cardiac arrest go on to die. I like to say that having your heart stop is a pretty bad prognostic sign. <laughs>
1: You're not most a good indicator, right?
0: Not a good indicator. Most people are not going to do well. And when I say most, you know in cities like Los Angeles is 99% uh, it's a little better in other places, but on television, it was very different. They tracked three major shows like ER and Chicago, Hope, and I don't remember what the other one was, Emergency 911 or something like that. And they looked at all the cardiac arrests on television. They found some really remarkable things. Most of them were in teenagers or young adults. <laughs> That's not true. Most cardiac arrests were in old people. Um, most of them survived not 1% or 2% or 5%, but a majority survived. Of the ones who survived, almost no one had a neurologic deficit, and that's also untrue. Not only do very few people survive, but most people are really sick and they have neurologic problems. This is a type of extraordinarily unrealistic presentation that um, makes people think that the world is actually very different than it is, and it's not just in cardiac arrest, of course. It's in all these other areas of healthcare.
1: I spoke to the writer, one of the writers for uh, ER, when the show was on, and and he is a doctor. And uh, I told him that he couldn't have any more shows where they were sucking out pulmonary emboli with a syringe and a needle through the chest wall. I said, that's creating an expectation. And he said, Greg, I know it's hokey science, but I'm in show business and it's good theater. And I think the patients sometimes have a tough time uh, separating out what is theater and what is science and what actually happens in hospitals and emergency departments. They're very different things
2: unrealistic depictions can set up patients and their families for tragic letdowns. Hoffman tells the story of a two-year-old with an underlying disease who had a serious infection and went into cardiac arrest during one of his shifts. He changed some details to protect the family's privacy.
0: So we did a prolonged resuscitation, which we often do in this circumstance with a child, but it it was obvious that this wasn't going to work, and at, at some point, I called the code, that is, I stopped the resuscitation. And the father was a very young man and was very, very upset, as you can imagine. Um, He he put his face next to mine and he screamed at me, what do you mean? And he he threw his arm out uh, in a a gesture that uh, intended to show everything in the room. And he said, look at all this stuff you got. What do you mean you can't save her? And it was a very powerful moment because what he was really saying was he had been taught by all of us and by television and by advertising and by the healthcare industry that we have magic powers and and we have magic equipment and um, it made it inconceivable to him that we couldn't help his desperately ill child.
2: There are other ways in which overconfidence in technology can do harm. At healthnewsreview.org, we've written a lot about how screening tests find slow-growing cancers that won't do harm but get treated anyway. That's overdiagnosis. And Hoffman and Henry point out that it's rampant in many areas of medicine. Take CT scans that find minor blood clots in the lungs called pulmonary emboli those can get treated with blood thinners that have serious side effects.
0: In the last 20 years or 30 years that we have fancy tests to look for pulmonary emboli, we're finding 10 to 100 times more pulmonary emboli than we ever did before. We're treating a lot of them. That's increased the harm from treatment by a lot. But it turns out we've had no impact on the number of pulmonary emboli that kill people or cause major morbidity because they just sit there.
2: Hoffman also calls attention to the downsides of modern lab tests that are capable of detecting tiny amounts of bacteria that can also get treated unnecessarily and lead to harms, like increasing a patient's risk for future infection.
0: There are some infectious diseases that we only knew about them because they were really, really, really bad. Now we develop great tests to find them early. And guess what? We find them all over the place. And then we treat them and When you treat something, you could cause damage and harm because no treatment is completely safe. And it turns out all these new cases of C. difficile, for example, which we're finding, are probably very different than the old C. difficile, which we only found because it made people very sick. I can't give you a a full list of this because it affects virtually everything. It's endocrine problems uh, where we diagnose diabetes and pre-diabetes and do all sorts of interventions with harm and without benefit. It's changing rules for hypertension and heart disease and looking for heart uh, coronary disease that we're finding in huge numbers that we never had before and treating without benefit but with harm. It's everywhere in medicine and I see it every day in the emergency department.
2: Henry points to a proliferation of scans that expose patients to radiation and suck up money that could be spent on other stuff.
1: We shoot x rays all the time, which undercall or overcall certain kinds of diseases without taking into account the patient, what their exam shows, how they're doing. Not everybody who's got a sore wrist needs an MRI of that wrist. And uh, there was a time in the country where we went through a, a phase. And we'd kind of splint you and see how you're doing, and if you're doing fine, we wouldn't pursue it with other tests. Uh, and now it seems that everybody's got to have a fourteen or fifteen hundred dollar study uh, for nothing.
0: Let me just emphasize Greg's point, which is that it's bad enough when you do X-rays, which can be wrong can identify things you don't need to but now there are many people in the medical literature arguing we shouldn't do x-rays anymore now that we have cat scans and MRIs just go to the to the better test it will find more but that's the real problem it will find more and there's lots of evidence that a lot of what it finds is trivial but we don't treat it as trivial because we can't tell
2: Hoffman and Henry say it's important not to blame patients for requesting things they don't need. They're only responding to what they've been taught.
1: When we start to believe that the patients want certain things, they're demanding certain things, most of that isn't true. Most patients, if we talk to them for a minute or two, understand why an antibiotic wouldn't be good for their current viral illness.
0: I'm much more concerned about the behavior of Providers who, on the one hand, try to convince patients that we are great scientists curing disease at at every instance, making enormous progress, and on the other hand, get upset when patients expect things that are unrealistic. We have helped create unrealistic
1: expectations.
2: Hoffman and Henry echo what others have said on this podcast. Be a skeptical consumer.
1: I I think that uh, the concept that we ought to be teaching is... Nature's figured most of this stuff out. If we're going to be taking anything, understand anything that can do us some good can do us some harm. And, and you have to be a conservative on what you stick in your body, or when people suggest that you just try this or some of that, I don't think that's a good way to live. I I think healthy skepticism on the part of most people when they go into the medical system is a good thing. They ought to ask, why am I taking this, what's the proof that it works, what are the harms down the road, and what does it cost? Because at some point in time, there's all kinds of medications being taken which really do absolutely nothing. I don't think this is hopeless.
0: I think the work that you're doing with these podcasts, trying to uh, raise awareness that we should be careful and skeptical and question things uh, is really, really important. But there's a lot of money and power pushing all sorts of mythology that harm us. Uh, We need to have a big voice in helping all of us, providers and patients alike, understand that Just wishing it's true doesn't make it true. And even worse, following our dreams, (laughs) our wishes, without actually being careful, can lead to lots of harm.
2: This podcast is a production of healthnewsreview.org. Go to our website to see more coverage on the patient harms of misleading media messages. I'm Mary Chris Jacklevic. Thank you for listening.